everyone, and welcome to this episode of Dars Conversations, the series where we talk to people from around the world of conversational tech about the sorts of awesome stuff that they are up to. I'm your host, Arnav Patel, and this week we are speaking with Jared Jascott, immigration attorney and founder of Yotengobot, a startup that helps law firms answer reoccurring questions and generate leads from prospective customers through messenger bots. What I find particularly interesting about Jared's use of conversational tech is the fact that it came out of necessity. As you'll hear in the interview, Jared built this company essentially out of a problem that he was trying to solve at his own workplace, which in my opinion is the best way to get into the conversational tech game. Because I think a lot of companies get caught up in the hype around the technology and they decide that they want a chatbot before they actually have a use case for it. And it usually ends up in producing subpar chatbots that disappoint the user. In Jared's case, on the other hand, as I mentioned, he's using it to solve a problem at his own workplace. And the end result is that he has some insights into bot development that I don't think a lot of other people in the space, even experienced people, have. And with that, here is my conversation with Jared. You, as I understand it, were an immigration lawyer uh, who now runs a chatbot company. So tell us a little bit about how that happened. Yeah, just to be clear, I still am an immigration attorney, and um, you know, my wife likes to remind me that that is the primary uh, focus of where I get my income, so that I should keep my eye on it. Though bots have certainly dominated uh, most of my 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 thinking and and a lot of my creative efforts. Though my law firm is is definitely still my full time job. So I'm I am an immigration attorney, and I actually got into chatbots to solve a problem in my workplace, which was that I was doing free consults on Fridays at a local nonprofit for immigration clients uh, that could not afford a consult in my office. And I would go there every Friday and there, over time there started to be a longer and longer wait list for people that wanted to meet with me. It got up to be where they had to wait for a month to have a free consult with me. And then they would come in and they would have to wait hours and hours to get in to have their free 10 or 20 minute consult with me. And as I started to go through these consults, it began to occur to me that almost all of them followed the exact same format. And I started to think like, why do these people have to wait so long to have the same conversation with me over and over again? There has to be a way that I can automate this so that they can not lose a day of work, not have to sit in this, you know, this, this office of this nonprofit, how can I automate it? So I started looking at various uh, web solutions. Some people kind of try to do conditional logic actually with websites where like if you click on this button, it takes you to the next page. So you do page jumps. And then there's some form programs out there that have conditional logic. But none of them really seemed that good to me. And then I found chatbots. And actually, I think I fell in love with them as a solution, not only to my problem, but just sort of something about bots really caught my eye. And just it made me so excited to think about creating this virtual thing that could be out in the world, interacting with people and having a personality. And so I just started trying to develop a bot that could have that conversation. That's a very interesting journey to get into the space of chatbots. I, I think, uh, in my experience, the best chatbots tend to arise out of a necessity for them as opposed to 
oh, this is nice to have. I'd be curious to know, how do those web solutions that you were talking about differ from chatbots? So you, you mentioned that you preferred chatbots as a medium. You sort of fell in love with them. But I was wondering if you could maybe expand a little bit about what it is about chatbots that makes them a better option than, say, a form with conditional logic, because you can essentially achieve the same outcome through both well, solutions. Well, I think, right. I mean, so let's, let's kind of divide your question up into two different sides, right? First side, I think, is that if you want to look at AI in the NLP space, is that chatbots sort of their, their upper limit of what they're able to do is, is, is literally beyond human beings, whereas sort of a dynamic website or form their upper limit is far, far below the most basic human being. And so I think I was really just fell in love with the idea of how far we could go with a chatbot in terms of the upper limits. The other real, I think, big difference between even like before we get into AI and NLP and excitement, we're just sort of down in what a lot of times in the law is referred to as an expert system, old school AI. Some people think of it, you know, as logic trees. These are the basic bots that people build with buttons. Even those bots have two big advantages, in my opinion, over websites and forms. And those two advantages are, first, bots can talk to people on any channel, right? A website is literally has to be done in browser, People have to understand sort of what kind of UX you're using to try to get them through that flow. And, and, and those kind of things are not necessarily intuitive. And, and those forms and websites are also incredibly boring, in my opinion. So, and then that leads me to sort of the second point is that bots are conversational. And that is, it's important, I think, to try as best we can when we create automations to have them sort of touch something that we know in the real world. And, and, and in the real world, what it looks like when you have a conversation with a law firm is that you call and you get a receptionist and that person has a conversation with you. And then you get into the lawyer and you go to a consult and you have a conversation. And so the fact that a chatbot can have a conversation it just makes it a much more natural fit as a coworker of the other employees that are having these legal conversations with, with potential customers. Right. And that's what a lot of people miss because that humanity, that the aspect of that interaction that makes it feel so natural to us is not very technical at all. It's, it doesn't have anything to do with how much you know about the law, how good of a lawyer you are. It has to do with essentially your ability to connect with another human being and chatbots definitely offer that. Yeah, very well said. I mean, I think that kind of leads into sort of conversational design and what it should be inside a chatbot, or frankly, in just a legal conversation to human beings. And, and in both cases, like you said, making that connection is so critical. I think often what we see, we actually have sort of taken over the bots of a lot of lawyers that have made their own bots. I think the big thing that you see from all of them is a, is a lack of what you just described, Arnoff connecting with the other person, they go straight to information acquisition. It's not, hi, Arnov, like, how are you? Like, how can I help you? It's, Arnov, what's your immigration status? Like, and everyone's like, whoa, like, that's not really like, let's, let's have a little chat first. Right. That's something we have to tell a lot of our clients as well. They obviously aren't working in spaces that are as, as fraught as immigration law. Uh, they might be selling mortgage, they might be selling insurance, but 
you jump in and they're like, what's your estimated credit score? Yeah. <laughs> this person just clicked on your Google ad. This is the first yeah. time they're interacting with your company and you're really going to ask them what their credit score is? Like, break the ice first. Yeah. I mean, I think that people get really excited about this idea that they can begin to put the conditional logic into um, the, the conversation so much that they forget about those early steps. But um, you know, one of the ways that we kind of, I think that our company and TARS are very different is that TARS has some templates, but you really let your customers build what they want and totally go off the rails if they want. Whereas our solution is a lot more um, guided conversationally by us. Our customers can do some customization on the variables and what the bot says but sort of we're serving them the nodes in the order that we choose. And um, so like some of those sort of conversational failures that a lot of people building their own bots for the first time have, we don't. So tell me a little bit more about the actual solution that you guys provide. Uh, are you essentially recreating what you created for your law firm where you're answering these common reoccurring questions that people have for other law firms essentially through a chatbot? Yeah, I think that that's that's a pretty good way to describe it, right? Is that we're like, we've sort of improved my own law firm's bot to the point that it's like our base model. And that's kind of what we're selling. And then some customization is available on it, but it's more about understanding the customer that we have. So what actual services this law firm provides on the customization side so that the bot really knows like this is the company that I work for and what they do so that when customers ask, we can, we can make sure that it's a good fit for the law firm because it's not actually in a lot of lawyers case, like conversion is important, but for them it's actually friction is another thing that's important because they don't want to waste their staff's time on a customer that they can't serve. You know, if this is a bankruptcy question and they're an immigration lawyer, that's not an appropriate case for them. So one of the things that we do that's, I think, really unique in the chatbot market is that all our bots are part of a botnet. And if this law firm's bot receives a bankruptcy question, but that law firm cannot handle it, we actually know that bot knows that there's a bankruptcy bot over here and it can actually pass the lead across the network over to the other attorney. And so in that way, we're sort of, we're helping the lawyers serve their customers by connecting them with the right person. But we're also making money for them because if they can sell that lead to another lawyer, you know, something that they were currently throwing away as just sort of like a rubbish lead has suddenly become a new source of revenue for them. That's a very interesting approach. And I think that's where chatbots sort of cross the line from being just another piece of software to having this almost magical experience in the eyes of the of, of the user where that handoff occurs because it almost feels like these bots, even though they are just pieces of software living on an AWS server somewhere, uh, it makes them feel like they're actual people. Like, oh, I don't handle this, but I have a friend, this other chatbot, who does. Let me hand yeah. you off to that person. Yeah, again, you're right. It feels It feels a little more like like something that humans are doing and a little less like a website link. Now, you know, one thing that's really interesting in this past, you and I, before we started recording, we're kind of talking about privacy expectations is that, you know, when you make that pass, how much of the data that you gleaned in the conversation with bot A 
do you push through to bot B? And what is that customer's expectation about that? They might have just bared their soul about their case to lawyer A because they really trust lawyer A. Suddenly we're serving them, you know, this, this bankruptcy lawyer over here. Do they want the bankruptcy lawyer's bot to know all they said? I mean, these are these, these are really interesting ethical questions, not and not just legal ethics, frankly, just like sort of human data information ethics. Right. And I guess this is particularly applicable for legal use cases where you're dealing with extremely sensitive information, especially in, in immigration law. I'd be curious to know, how do you navigate that terrain in terms of the sorts of information that you collect through your bot, uh, how you handle that information? And I think even more interesting is how do you go about asking for something like that in a chat context? Now, I think one of the things that's sort of always fascinating to me about bots that I love is that you sort of, you have your idea, you put it out there, but then users, like they do with it what they want. You know, they're not necessarily going to follow what Rasa, another chatbot platform calls the happy path. Like these users, they may not, they may not love your happy path. And so especially once you open up the prompt and you let them type unstructured data or messages to you and you go outside buttons, like what are they going to say to you? And what we found strangely is that what most users say, Arnav, is really a surprise to me. They tell us their whole story in a paragraph right out of the gate. It's like, hi, Arnav, how can, how are you doing? And then you know, the bot, the person just says, I'm an undocumented immigrant. I came here eight years ago. I crossed the border without permission. I've never committed a crime. I've paid taxes three of the four years. My wife is a United States citizen. We've got three kids. Um, is there anything that can be done for me? And so it's like, whoa, like that's, uh, oftentimes they're actually giving us, you're sort of saying like, how do you handle this sensitive information? they're often giving us stuff that I would never even ask them because I consider it too sensitive. So that's sort of a big discovery thing that we found with users is that they're really often quite forthcoming with the bots about what's up with their situation. Interesting. Interesting. And I think this gets back to the point we were talking about where uh, the point we were talking about regarding the conversational nature of these chatbots. I don't, I don't know how much of that information they might be willing to share through a form. Yeah, I mean, you know, I because I do have a form sort of on my website still and I, you know, in my law firm, they I think that they'll they share some I would say that though they share a little less often. I think the bigger factor is that people are a lot more likely to talk to a chatbot than fill out a form. Like they don't actually like the engagement rates are are dramatically better for bots. Um but I, they do actually end up putting a lot of sensitive stuff on forms too, Arnav. Gotcha. So it's essentially they have no qualms sharing the yeah. most sensitive details of their case with you. But yeah. the chatbot is a lot more approachable than a traditional form is. Right. And I think, I mean, for us, what we really feel is that if they're going to bear their soul to us, we sort of have a responsibility to respond to that appropriately. I mean, if someone just tells you that they're the victim of some horrific crime or that their child is stuck in an immigration detention center, it's just not okay to say to them, I'm sorry, I don't understand that. Here's a menu. Like that's just not, that's not appropriate. And so we need to be able to, to, to know that that's how our users are going to interact and design chatbot flows that do a good job with handling that kind of thing. 
I'd be interested in learning a little bit more about how you actually approach those flows and approach creating those flows. Um, are there any are there any pointers that you have picked up while making chatbot flows for legal tech firms that chatbot creators across industries can learn from, uh, specifically in terms of like how you order questions, what sorts of information, I guess you just answered this, they tend to share all of the information that, yeah. they, that they ask for, but how you handle all of that information once they've sent it, um, what are some best practices that you've come across that people could benefit from, from hearing? I think that like, I think that my favorite thing to do that I sort of, this is my, maybe my advice outside chatbots in the entire world is to remember to play tennis with the other person you're talking to. And so, you know, what that means is really chop up what you're going to say, say it to them, but then let them say something back. Like actually let's have a little back and forth. That's what people really enjoy in conversation. All of us are bored by conversational partners that just are a wall of words. And lawyers are the worst for that. When I get into their chatbots, they often have so much text that a person has to like scroll in Facebook Messenger to read it all. I'm like, guys, this, this is literally like the content that I want you to deliver in 20 messages and you're delivering it in your like intro. Like, come on. Right. I mean, at that point, why not just use a web page? Because chatbots are not designed to present that much information in one go. I mean, if you look at the origins of chat as a medium, SMS literally stands for short messaging service. So it doesn't make sense when you send an entire essay in the first, in the first, we call it a gambit, in the first couple of messages. It stems from a fear inside the chatbot conversational creator. You're like, oh, like, they're not going to read anything else that I write. So I need to make sure that I get these 10 points out now, like, or otherwise they're never going to see them. But the truth is no one sees them. If you write 10 points, like that's actually the thing that is the most likely to destroy your content getting, getting read. Right. I think people are conditioned with traditional mediums like apps and landing pages and websites. Do you think that the best approach to get someone to do something, to get someone to conversion is to give them as much information as possible. Because if you give them everything that they could possibly ask for in one go, then they they have the information that they need. Why wouldn't they convert? But that doesn't tend to be the case. People speed read, they skim over large pieces of text. And especially if they're dealing with something like immigration law, where it's a very stressful situation to be in, I'd imagine that that stress reduces their their inclination to read through that wall of text. And in, in that sense, the opposite approach is actually better, where you provide as little information as possible in one go. You provide them with only what they need to know at that point in time, and you let them direct the conversation. Totally. Yeah, well said. Now, we've, we've spoken about the value that these chatbots offer to lawyers, but talk me through what that translates to from a business perspective in terms of what a lawyer should expect when they start adopting a chatbot to answer these recurrent questions. How does that translate after a year of using a chatbot? What does that translate to for that law firm? What do they expect to see that at the end of that year, which they would not have seen if they weren't using a chatbot? Yeah. I mean, I think that sort of the first low hanging fruit when you start using a chatbot is conversion rate is, is just off the charts better than most of the other things that attorneys and other businesses use. So, you know, 
if you can get, I feel like there's a little, people are a little more likely to talk to a chatbot in ads, for instance, than just make a phone call to your firm. So, I mean, one of the biggest points, of, the two big points of entry that we see are people that are making content on Facebook and calling to action, either through comments or just straight calls to action to get people to talk to their bots, or they're using ads to drive conversations into their bots. And in, in both of those scenarios, what we're seeing with well-designed bots is that we can get phone numbers from people in the 25 to 30% of conversation range. And what really well-designed bots, I mean, we've seen bots that are actually only getting two to 5% phone numbers right there. So I think a well-designed bot can out-convert your website, forms or a poorly designed bot by around 10x and so that's just what that translates into actually from a business standpoint in my case has been running ads and other promotions that were based on lower conversion rates actually not possible for me or not a good business proposition become a good business proposition if you just want to put some math on it, I mean, say that you're on Facebook and you're able to get clicks in the $3 range and you have a 2% conversion rate, well, you're going to have to spend $150 to get one, to get one phone number. You know, and that's, and what we've seen in terms of paid consults, you know, maybe let's say that you get 10% of those phone numbers turn into it. You know, you're spending $1,500 to get one $100 prepaid consult. This is a bad deal for a lot of these businesses. Whereas if you're converting in that 30% range, the cost of getting a prepaid consult is still below the cost of the consult. And so you can begin to scale the number of consults that your law firm is, is getting uh, quite rapidly. I think the other thing about having that high conversion rate and a bot that's infinitely scalable, because a bot, I think it's important to think about, you know, one of the big lessons that I learned early in my career is that I hit a really awesome advertising campaign. And that led to 25 calls an hour for two days to my law firm. And guess what, Arnav? That was actually a nightmare for me and my staff. We hated it. Like, we couldn't get any work done. All we were doing was answering the phone. And it just kind of wasted all our resources. And so that's another place where bots are just incredible because your chatbot loves nothing more than having 200 conversations a day. And it can actually achieve that. So sort of efficiency and scale, I think, are the two first cuts that bots offer that just give give law firms a, a really big lift. I think that's a super interesting way of deploying chatbots into a marketing campaign, essentially having the ad drop customers directly into the chat conversation. Uh, it's something we've been trying to trying to encourage our customers to adopt adopt a lot more. Uh, the way I, th I like to think about it is essentially you're cutting the middleman out of the picture because as we were talking about it earlier, even with your traditional campaigns, someone lands in your landing page, they fill out a form. That form is essentially going to translate into a conversation somewhere down the line with the receptionist and then that's going to translate into another conversation somewhere down the line with an actual lawyer. And essentially what you're doing is you're, you're cutting out that middleman off that landing page. You're cutting out that middleman off that website and you're just making the entire process a lot more efficient uh, from one, the user's perspective in that in that sense where you're cutting out that middleman, but also from the law firm's perspective where you don't have to be fielding all of those calls. Yeah. 
I mean, I think that's, you know, something that people don't really think about very often in the context of chatbots, but that's important and you're cutting out the middleman point is that chatbots are an asynchronous form of communication. In other words, a customer isn't that annoyed. So say that a bot hits a wall and can't answer the customer's question, which is almost always the case, let's say, because bots right now are, are still pretty dumb. But if that bot can kind of get you to a point of saying, all right, that's a great question. Let me go get a staff member and they'll be willing to help. They'll be willing to answer it. What we find is that customers aren't that annoyed that 30 minutes later, a customer, uh, a law firm employee comes back and gives them a nice piece of content and then walks away. And then 30 minutes later, that client can come back with another and you can sort of, you can over time have that nice game of tennis really slow at the, at the, at a sort of a pace that both sides are comfortable with. Whereas like a phone call or uh, even a web chat for that matter, it has to be done right there or it's over or one of the two sides is annoyed. Right, definitely. There's nothing worse than being kept on hold because you have to be there the whole time listening yeah. to that god-awful hold music, <laughs> waiting for someone to come back. And with a chat, with a chat but in a messaging app, you, you don't have to deal with that. Uh, we're actually rolling out WhatsApp. We rolled out WhatsApp chatbots about a month ago and this, we're finding that that is the primary advantage off of the technology starting a conversation with someone in whatsapp essentially you, you you're creating a you're creating a chat in their inbox that's going to be there forever because whoever who deletes a whatsapp conversation and you can revisit that conversation at some point in the future and because it's asynchronous to pick up where you left off in the previous conversation which is a very compelling use case for people i think across industries yeah. You know, I mean, there's there's definitely some rules in terms of like the 24 hour rule on Facebook and WhatsApp, of course, has it as well. I actually have seen some legal customers that are routinely breaking that rule with broadcasts, in my opinion. And I haven't seen Facebook come down on them. But in our platform, we definitely don't allow any. We don't allow people to break the 24 hour rule. How does TARS handle that? I'll put you on the spot. For our listeners, do you think you could tell us what the 24 hour rule is? Oh, yeah. Because I think some of them might not be familiar with it. Deep into, deep into the, the, the jargon without remembering where I am. So, you know, Facebook has essentially said that if you send a user a message and they don't respond, then you can come back to them one time more within 24 hours, say, you know, eight hours later or whenever you determine and you can say one more thing to them, like, hey, was it, did you have any other questions? Something to try to kick up that engagement one more time. But what you can't do, and what I see a lot of lawyers want to do, is they, they want to use their bots as sort of a broadcast engine. And, and even worse than, like, a lot of them have tried to say to me that they fit into Facebook's news rule, that they're broadcasting this, this sort of informational content, which... I, if you read the terms of service, I don't believe that any lawyers actually fit into the news rule personally. But even so, what I see in their content is a lot more to the side of like ads, like, hey, we're running a special $75 consults. And this could be months after this person has spoken to your bot and they're broadcasting to all the users that are subscribed to their bot. And they're basically using their bot to spam people that have subscribed to their and this is, this is really kind of a, it's a popular thing, but I think it gives both bots and law firms a bad name. Facebook has said that it's actually illegal, 
but it doesn't seem to me that Facebook is actually enforcing the rule. Right, and I think for a long time, that's essentially where the value in messenger bots lied. Like spamming. Yeah, essentially, you could you could, <laughs> you could just spam people with coupons for your restaurant or your hair salon. In terms of how we handle it at TARS, we haven't really faced the problem much because we've primarily focused on web-based chatbots, where you don't have you don't have this issue of like revisiting the conversation. We're more focused on how can we make the immediate interaction with someone when they look up something on Google and they click on an ad, how can we make that interaction as engaging as possible? And our answer to that question has been chatbots. But once that interaction is over, it's usually a a focused lead generation interaction, which leads into an email campaign or it leads into a phone call. And at that point, it's all up to the customer. Um, As we've, make a foray into WhatsApp chatbots, I guess the, the way that we handle it is essentially to to coach our customers about marketing best practices. Because I, I had a I had an interesting conversation with, um, actually in this series, if you look at some of the previous episodes, with, uh, with a person who works for a push notification company. And I asked him, how do you, how do you, what are the rules for push notifications? Because like most people think of web push notifications spammy, don't they? So how do you not come across as spammy? And he pointed out to me that the rules for web push notifications are the same as the rules for any other marketing channel. And I think that applies to chatbots as well, where even on email, spamming is an issue. Even in phone calls, like with robocalls, spamming is an issue. Even with regular old text messaging, spamming is an issue. And you essentially need to apply the same tact that you apply to those to those channels to your chatbots and the way we essentially try to convey that to our customers through blog posts through podcasts like this um where we where we inform them about that uh and usually if they if they are the sort of company that does spam their customers in our experience spamming isn't a good business practice so if they if they do that it usually doesn't work out for them in the end at which point they have to stop using a chatbot because they're not really generating any business. Yeah, that's a nice answer. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a diplomatic answer. <laughs> how, is, how is TARS handling the NLP required for WhatsApp conversations? So WhatsApp conversations are a bit complicated because WhatsApp doesn't have, it doesn't have the same versatility in input UIs that a lot of other bot platforms have. You don't have quick replies. You don't have buttons. The way that we've seen a lot of other companies handle interactions with users is you essentially give them a numbered list uh, when you want buttons. So do you want to, is this the phone number we can reach out to you on? Yes, no. Type in one or type in yes for yes. Type in two for no. We don't say that, but we say select from the following options. So that's how we handle things like quick reply. In terms of NLP, uh, we handle it the same way that we, we do for web-based chatbots uh, when someone needs NLP in their chatbot, uh, which is we just we use the native API integration feature that we have to hook up to something like Dialogflow uh, where we okay. built a classifier. And essentially, the chatbot sends the information there, the classifier responds, and then based on that response from Dialogflow, we direct the conversation in a specific direction. Okay, excellent. Awesome. Uh, I believe we have come to the end of our time over here. And I think you need to head out for a meeting. Yeah.
Well, thanks again. It's good to talk to you. Have a great day. That is the end of our episode today. Thank you guys for tuning in and keep a lookout for our episode next week. It's going to be just as interesting. Oh.